enjoy the dulcet tones of someone who loves history, humanity, and space a whole hell of a lot. I only censor myself around people I'm not comfortable with, and since I'm talking to myself, I am extremely comfortable, so I cannot guarantee no swears. I'm Hannah, born in Oregon in the very early 90s, and part of that Hannah-named hive mind, but I happily answer to HD, so brace for the obligatory joke. Coming to you in high def, HD fills her sweet spare time with space. surrounded myself with some wonderful people. The kind of people who take an interest in the things that I find interesting, support these interests, and even share them with me sometimes. This is how I got so heavily involved in Dungeons and Dragons in the past year, and it's how I've gotten people to come rock climbing with me, read books and talk about them with me, watch shows and movies. I feel truly, deeply lucky, though, when six separate people from all over the United States send me articles about the first photos that were taken of a black hole this month. They are fueling my nerdery in the best way, and I love them all. It was brought to my attention, though, that I have never done an episode about black holes. This is shocking. I've definitely mentioned them before, in episode 14 on Dark Matter and in episode 23 on Quasars and Blazars, where I spoke about supermassive black holes. Well, it's time for them to get their own episode. They're the most impressive, cool-sounding thing in space, and they're also pretty freaky. I remember learning about black holes and being both terrified of that crushing darkness and fascinated by what it could possibly look like. I couldn't conceive of how black holes worked. This episode will be a good challenge in describing something I gradually realized was heavily math-based because it was so theoretical, at least at first. In episode 14, I defined them as, quote, black holes, which are incredibly dense mass in a very small space. They were an accepted theoretical phenomenon until recently, and I'll get into how awesome it was to confirm their existence in a second. It was Albert Einstein who really started the search for black holes. I've also seen articles call them his least favorite idea. Einstein's equations for his theory of general relativity indicated that a high concentration of matter and energy in one place could lead to a collapse of space-time, which would then trap light and matter forever. This was kind of a scary outcome, so I guess he wasn't a huge fan of black holes. He focused instead on the nicer ideas of general relativity, like the effect of mass on the fabric of space, time, and space-time. Imaging of stars showed that they were sometimes out of their expected alignment, which served as proof of his theory. General relativity stated that matter, energy, and gravity warp space-time, pulling these stars away from their anticipated positions. Einstein's general relativity built a new cosmology, where space-time was a malleable object, But the concept of black holes remained a disturbing one. They get bigger the more they absorb, and it would take several lifetimes of the universe for them to fade away. Long-lasting, ever-growing, implacable, always hungry. I can see how a lot of sci-fi and fantasy books took inspiration from black holes, or maybe it's just an idea that's always seemed villainous and scary to people. Astronomy proceeded with the assumption that black holes exist, though it was thought to be close to impossible to get image confirmation that they existed. Because they suck up any matter or energy that comes too close, you can't ping them. They'll eat up the waves you send out to detect them. According to the New York Times, it was three years ago that we got our first concrete confirmation of black holes. 
the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO, detected a collision of two black holes in a very distant part of the universe. This collision was felt in the fabric of space-time, and LIGO caught this shiver. Scientists had been theorizing about black holes since the 60s, though. Regular black holes originate from stars that burned up and collapsed without fuel. But there were also some that existed in the center of galaxies, and it wasn't clear how black holes this huge could form. In episode 23, I went into some more detail about these supermassive black holes because I was talking about how the type of galaxy and type of black hole affect the label we give these kinds of galaxies. Quasars, blazars, etc. So there's two kinds of black holes then. The kind that result from stars burning themselves out, exploding, then imploding, are the kind that eat up the waves and show no signs of their presence. Supermassive black holes, though, do put out some detectable energy. In 1969, the theory was presented that galaxies have a supermassive black hole at the center, which is a major part of galaxy formation and evolution. Active galaxies in particular have supermassive black holes that are sucking in material from the galaxy's dense center. As that material falls in toward the black hole, its momentum causes it to spiral in and form a disk, called an accretion disk. The accretion disk is very hot and under intense gravitational and frictional forces. Active galaxy models include a region of cold gas and dust, which is thought to be in the shape of a giant donut, or a torus shape, with the black hole and the accretion disk nestled in the donut's hole. In about 1 in 10 active galaxies, the black hole and accretion disk produce narrow beams of energetic particles which are ejected outward in opposite directions away from the disk. So, if you picture a donut with a long spray of powdered sugar coming out each side of the hole and spewing perpendicular to the donut... These jets of powdered sugar, a.k.a. energetic particles, shoot out at 99.99% of the speed of light and are a powerful source of radio waves. We still don't know where supermassive black holes came from, maybe stars even larger than the ones that exist now in the universe. We also don't know what happens when you fall into a black hole, because the forces acting on you are just unfathomably complex. We do, however, now know what a black hole looks like. Astronomers had to do a lot of work to get to the point of image capturing a black hole. The image, in case you haven't seen it, has been painfully zoomed in by news outlets until it's a pixelated blur, showing a lopsided gold-red ring surrounding a dark circle. Very Eye of Sauron. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. All that. Anyway, the picture we got in mid-April of this year, 2019, shows a black hole with a mass of 6.5 billion times that of our sun. Some of the distortion of this image is due to the charged particles that fill empty space and render photographs so blurry. If you zoom out, and you should, in order to get a bigger sense of how this supermassive black hole fits into the entire hole, you'd see the galaxy surrounding the black hole, Messier 87, a galaxy 55 million light years away from Earth in the constellation Virgo. This is one of the Messier objects that Charles Messier located in the 18th century in his effort to weed out what celestial objects were not comets. The jet of particles that Messier 87 shoots out was first detected in 1918. Active supermassive black hole galaxies emit radio noise, which was how they were first discovered back in the 1950s. Astronomers who manned radio telescopes found that otherwise dim galaxies were emitting massive amounts of radio energy from their cores. 
That amount of emissive energy would normally only be present in very bright galaxies, so these 1950s astrophysicists theorized that the excess energy was created by matter falling into supermassive, dense objects. Black holes. And they have been proven right. Modern astronomers focused on the radio-loud Messier 87 galaxy, and they also chose to monitor a dim source of radio noise at the heart of our Milky Way galaxy that's called Sagittarius A-star, which we know contains a black hole 26,000 light-years from Earth. The radio waves from Sagittarius A-star's black hole were first detected in 1931. A bit closer, but a bit smaller than the one we saw in Messier 87, and we don't have images of that Sagittarius A-star black hole as far as I know. I do want to spend a minute talking about the telescope scientists use to capture images of this black hole. Super cool stuff. It's called the Event Horizon Telescope, and it used eight radio observatories spread across four continents on six different mountains. The Event Horizon Telescope's network of observatories is named after the very edge of a black hole, the cusp, the turning point where if you go beyond that event horizon, not even light can escape the gravitational pull. The Event Horizon Telescope was used to observe Messier 87 and Sagittarius A-star for 10 days in April 2017, which means the following eight radio telescopes synchronized themselves via atomic clocks and focused on these two points in the sky. The Submillimeter Telescope in Arizona, the James Clerk Maxwell Telescope and the Submillimeter Array in Hawaii, the Large Millimeter Telescope in Mexico, the Atacama Pathfinder Experiment and Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array in Chile, the South Pole Telescope in Antarctica, and the IRAM 30-meter telescope in Spain. To call back to one of the most convoluted episodes I've ever made, the technique used was very long baseline interferometry, and the effort was led by Dr. Shep Doleman at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Using all of these telescopes together created a telescope the size of Earth, and the whole project was an international collaboration of 200 people. After these 10 days of data collection, scientists spent two years analyzing those observations to bring us the image of the black hole in Messier 87. The data had to be reduced and organized, but all of this information was too big to send over the internet. I have been informed by my brother that the total amount of data was 5 petabytes, or 5 million gigabytes. There's a photo of one of the analysts at MIT with all of the hard drives that were needed to contain it, and those hard drives are stacked a couple of feet high and take up a dining room table. MIT wasn't the only place to analyze the data. The Max Planck Institute for Radio Astronomy in Bonn, Germany, also received hard drives of data to crunch. In 2018, the data crunching team split into four groups, preparing to assemble images from the massive heaps of data, but also working to ensure they would not bring in bias. They had no contact with each other, working separately to compile the image, and they did. That's where we got the black circle with a ring around it that's kind of the eye of Sauron. The Event Horizon Telescope isn't done collecting data, nor is it done growing. A telescope in Greenland at the Thule Air Base was added in April 2018, leading to another observation of the Milky Way and Messier 87 last year. That data isn't part of the recent black hole image, but it can be used to confirm it and monitor the black hole's behavior. 
that's all I have to say right now about black holes and the progress we've made on them. They're incredibly dense, always sucking in what gets too close, and these supermassive black holes get big enough that they start launching matter and energy waves out of themselves, which is how we can find them. And now it's how we can photograph them. It took two years of analysis this time, but I'm sure we'll start getting faster and faster at crunching all the data and getting a clear image of this very cool astronomical object. I would like to say thanks to Leslie for sending me her son Griffin's Humboldt State University Idea Fest poster almost a year ago. He delivered a presentation on quasars that included an image of what a quasar might look like, and it really helped me visualize things. And thank you to Jessica, John, Jana, Becca, Zoe, Kate, Plunk, Emily, Steve, my mom, and my brother, because I'm pretty sure you all talked with me about this most excellent development in black hole astrophysics. If not, I'm sure we will, because even making this episode didn't call my excitement. For the next podcast, I will be talking about famous comets. I just couldn't resist this detour into black holes. It's comets, and then I'm not quite sure where to go next. I'm reading a very weird book by Italo Calvino called Cosmocomics, so maybe I'll have some fun with space-themed literature for an episode. Feel free to suggest some ideas for topics for me to cover by sending me an ask on my Tumblr or tweeting at me on Twitter at HD in the Void, all one word. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you won't miss new episodes. It would also be awesome if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review the podcast there as well. I hope you heard something today that surprised you about astronomy and space. All of it passes my event horizon. I can pinky promise the next episode will wander ever deeper into the cat's cradle tangle of astronomy and history and society to dive past your own event horizon. You can find my sources for this episode, music credits, a vocab list, and the episode transcript at all one word, fill the void, dash with dash space dot tumblr dot com hugs and kisses from the void hd signing off <laughs>